Hello, I'm Alina. Hello, I'm Janine. We're two sisters, two PhDs, relentlessly curious about too many things. This is Sister Doctor Squared. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Sister Doctor Squared. Alina here. And it's episode 10, a milestone episode. Exciting, Janine. Woohoo! Absolutely. It's been a little while since our last episode, so apologies for that, but we're in Brisbane and we're in lockdown now, so it's the perfect opportunity. We have no excuse. That's right. <laughs> we have nothing else to do. Yes, but I mean, to be honest, we always record remotely, so it's really no different. <laughs> yes, a double ender as they call it. So I'm looking at you on a Zoom screen and you're looking at me on a Zoom screen because we are reducing the carbon footprint of this podcast. So lockdown or not, this is what we do. But for our Brisbane listeners out there, just want them to know that we're not flouting the rules. No. We are apart. Mm-hmm. Also, Janine, we don't want to spend time with each other if we don't have to. <laughs> 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 All right, so before we get into this episode, we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording this episode and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. So Janine, please introduce the episode to us. Yes, so this episode was chosen because I've been assisting some students in understanding genetics and there's been a bit of a focus on cancer genetics and I was looking at various papers and one of the papers was suggesting that certain animal groups don't get cancer anywhere near as often as humans and that some pretty interesting stuff is going on in those groups. So, of course, I got pretty excited and started telling you about it and we decided let's do an episode. And on a personal note, cancer is a topic that we do have a lot of interest in as sadly our mum died of cancer at only age 41. Yes. And we now know that this cancer was actually due to a specific genetic mutation and it's called Lynch syndrome. And I think we would like to get into an episode on that topic if people are keen. So get in touch if you would like to hear more about that. Yeah, let us know. Yes. So for now, we're going to look at what's going on in some other animal groups. Alina, I think you should go first. So I'm wondering what you have been learning about. Well, I looked at a paper by Mark Tollis and colleagues. It's a short question and answer paper from 2017 and it was published in BMC Biology. And the title is Pito's Paradox, How Has Evolution Solved the Problem of Cancer Prevention? And I thought, what? Mm. What is this? So what is Pito's Paradox? Well, the name comes from epidemiologist Sir Richard Pito, who, when studying cancer in mice, saw that the chance of these mice getting cancer was related to how long they'd been exposed to a certain carcinogen. Mm. Makes sense. Yeah. And then he thought, well, humans live longer than mice, which means that humans are exposed to potential carcinogens for a lot longer than mice. Yep. And humans are way bigger than mice. Mm. So humans have way more cells. And so based on sheer probability, you would think that humans would get more cancer than mice, right? Yes. Well, here's the paradox. 
Across the lifespan, humans and mice have about the same chance of getting cancer. Mm. And what's more, when it comes to large animals that live really long lives, they actually have less chance of getting cancer than humans. Mm -hmm. So this means that the number of cells an organism has does not correlate with its chance of getting cancer. So what TF is going on? (laughs) And in the words of Eddie Vedder of Pearl Jam, I'm going to say it's evolution, baby. (laughs) Nice. Absolutely. So what do we mean? Well, Janine, you can certainly help me out with this, but cells are constantly dividing and new Mm -hmm. cells are being made. And when a cell is dividing, the first step is for DNA to be copied. Now, the new copied cell should be the same as the first one. Yeah. But mistakes can happen and this can lead to mutations. And basically, the more cells you have, the more chance there is that something might go wrong when DNA gets copied, like some sort of mutation that causes cancer. It's just maths. That's right. Now, these large and or long-living animals have kind of had to find a solution to this problem, to Peto's paradox. They've adapted by developing ways of suppressing cancer because if they didn't, then they would be getting lots of cancer. Mm. And there would be enormous fitness costs to their enormous and or long-living bodies, and they could face the threat of extinction. Yeah. Now, it's not to say that these animals don't get cancer at all. They still do, but it's far less often than you would expect given their body size and or how long they live. So what are these cancer-suppressing strategies that they've developed? Well, our resident evolutionary biologist at Sister Doctor Square, <laughs> Dr. Janine Ricks, is here <laughs> and she's going to tell you about how whales and other sea-dwelling mammals are beating the cancer odds and then we'll also circle back to more from the paper that I read by Mark Tollis and co. So we'll be right back. All right, Janine, tell us all about the whales. Okay, so yes, the paper that I have found, which is so interesting, was published just this year, 2021, and it's by Daniela Tayada Martinez and colleagues. And the title is Positive Selection and Gene Duplications in Tumor Suppressor Genes Reveal Clues About How Cetaceans Resist Cancer. What are cetaceans? Yes, so there's a lot of words in that title, so we're going to break that down for you. The paper opens with this quote. Cetaceans are the longest living species of mammals and the largest in the history of the planet. So what exactly are cetaceans? They're an order of mammals that live in the ocean and they include whales, dolphins and porpoises. So like all mammals, they have hair, produce milk, and give birth to live young. Yes. There is a range of lifespans across the group. So from 17 years on average in the pygmy sperm whale to 211 years in the bowhead whale. Holy crap. (laughs) And there's also a (laughs) range. That is a long life. And so there's also a range in body sizes, 50 kilograms for dolphins and up to 175 tonnes in the blue whale, the biggest animal to ever, ever inhabit the planet. Wow. Which, I mean, side note, we share the planet with the biggest animal to ever live, which is pretty cool. That 
is cool. Yeah. And oh, another interesting side note, um, many people don't realise that although the cetaceans live in the ocean, we know from research and the fossil record that they evolved from a terrestrial ancestor and the closest living relative of the group is actually the hippopotamus. Yes. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah, so what this means is that hippos and cetaceans shared a common ancestor around 55 million years ago. So the ancestors of modern whales were semi-aquatic and living in freshwater, and they gave Mm. rise to many other species and clades and branches that have now gone extinct. So what we are seeing today are the leftover tips of this part of the evolutionary tree. So we are seeing hippos, whales, dolphins, porpoises. Okay. Yes. Back to the topic at hand. So as Alina has explained, Peto's paradox is based on the fact that we don't see higher rates of cancer in large animals or long-lived animals, when statistically we should. And cetaceans in particular have some of the lowest incidences of cancer in the animal kingdom. So in this study, the authors really want to pin down what genetic factors are at play that may be leading to this apparent resistance of cancer among this group. So what did they do and what did they find? First, they investigated the relationships between body mass and lifespan across mammals in general. They did this mega graph where they had a plot point for each of 930 different species of mammals. So humans would have been one little plot point. And then what they did was separate out the cetaceans from all of the other mammals to see if the overall trend line was the same for that group. And they found a significant difference in the relationship for the cetaceans when compared to the other mammal groups. So what this means is that they definitely are getting less cancer and living longer than the rest of the mammals. Mm, Okay than we would expect based on their body size and therefore the number of cells. So something interesting is definitely going on in this group. Yes. So the authors then did some genetic analyses. For these, they compared the DNA from seven cetacean species, and this included a couple of species of dolphins, orca, which is the killer whale, and a few different whales. And they compared these to other mammals, including horses, cows, dogs, elephants, and humans. The DNA sequences were already available in genetic databases and they were very interested in focusing on this class of genes called tumour suppressor genes. Now, tumour suppressor genes are genes that code for proteins that act in some way to either prevent cancer or to control it from getting out of hand. So the tumour suppressor genes can work in many different ways. For example, as Alina mentioned initially, mistakes can occur during cell division. And some classes of tumour suppressor genes code for proteins that actually go along and perform checks and balances of the new DNA sequences and correct mistakes. Right, like an auditor. Yes. And then there are other types of tumour suppressor genes that may be involved in detecting an abnormal cell and triggering the death of that cell. And that process is called apoptosis for those playing at home. (laughs) Yes. So hopefully it's clear that having lots of different tumour suppressor genes is going to be a very good thing in terms of resisting cancer. And humans have different tumour suppressor genes too. So the researchers focused in on over 1,000 tumour suppressor genes that have been found across the mammals, including some in humans. And with this genetic data and through computer modelling, they were able to gain a lot of insights. Firstly, they could investigate how these genes have evolved over time because when you think about it, each different type of tumour suppressor gene would have first evolved in an ancestor at some point in the past, right? And we can get a handle on how they have evolved among different groups of mammals since they first emerged in that ancestor. 
And they found that 71 tumour suppressor genes had evolved through what is called duplication events. Okay. So remember that, Alina, you explained that random mutations can occur during cell division. Yeah. So one type of mutation can be what's called a duplication, where basically there's a double up in a sequence of the DNA. And if this double up leads to greater survival for some reason, it will be favoured by natural selection. And this is what seems to have happened in the cetaceans. So just random mutations that have meant that tumour suppressor genes specifically have been duplicated or doubled up essentially leads to more tumour-fighting ability over time. Right. So they just lucked out at some point. Yes. And so you can see that over time, the different areas that have been duplicated, they could continue to have mutations and change so that you end up seeing slightly different types of tumour suppressor genes. Mm. And here's a great quote from the paper that I think really seals the deal. In this study, the species with the most gene duplications is the bowhead whale, the only mammal that is recognised as living for more than two centuries. Wow, yes. So there you go. That's really Uh, compelling, isn't it? Yes. And then they point out, on the other hand, the bottlenose dolphin, which actually has the highest incidence of cancer within the cetaceans, also has the lowest observed number of gene duplications. Has the lowest. There you go. Yes. And they were also able to use computer modelling to estimate the rate of evolution for these different tumour suppressor genes. And that is how quickly does change seem to be happening over evolutionary time in these particular regions. Okay. And they estimated that the rate of change is 2.4 times faster in cetaceans than in other mammals for the tumour suppressor gene. Okay, wow. So there you go again. And they also found signatures of what is called positive selection. And this means that individuals with certain genes have had a strong survival advantage. This really signals that strong levels of natural selection have been at play. And so this is how much pressure is there from the environment for evolutionary change to go in a particular direction. And so any individual with genes that help to resist cancer have had a massive advantage over time. Yes. And they were even able to show that the genes that showed evidence for strong natural selection were involved in things like ageing, cell death, DNA repair, and the immune system, which are all critical components of preventing and or controlling cancer. Cancer, yep, absolutely. And they also found uh, strong signals of natural selection for genes that are in humans as well, including genes that are associated with cancers of the lung, the skin, and also leukemia, and positive selection for genes involved in immune system disorders in humans. And again, the immune system is another critical component of cancer resistant. Okay, so it's really selective for what is going to help us fight off cancer. Yes, exactly. Yes, so in a nutshell, my thoughts are that a distant ancestor of the cetaceans may have had a high risk of developing cancer due to being long-lived and or a very large animal. And over time, DNA mutations have occurred, which they do in all groups of animals. And this would have included random duplication events. But when this happened to involve genes associated with cancer protection or ageing, natural selection favoured individuals whose genes protected them from cancer or ageing, which means they didn't get the cancer or other diseases as young or as much, so they could reproduce more and pass these genes on. Yes. So this is why whales rarely get cancer. The cetacean group has evolved to resist the disease precisely because they are large animals. Yes. That are long-lived. That's right. 
So fascinating. Yes. If the random mutations that are responsible for this had not evolved by chance, many individuals would have succumbed to cancer before they reached reproductive age, and this group may indeed have been at risk of extinction. So overall, we should expect that large animals and long-lived animals that are around today will have developed a resistance to cancer. And, as Alina mentioned, it's all down to evolution baby. That's right. (laughs) In case you don't know what we're talking about here, this is a reference to a Pearl Jam song called Do the Evolution. Yes. We'll put that in the show notes for the episode. Aside from the title, it doesn't really have anything to do with what we're talking about. (laughs) No, it doesn't. (laughs) It's um, all about how stupid and misguided we all are as humans. But if you feel like some existential reflections on that, (laughs) or if you just want to listen to a good rock song, then do yourself a favour and have a listen. But yes, Yes. you're absolutely right, Janine. If they hadn't developed these cancer-suppressing strategies, then they might not be around today for us to be talking about this. Well, that's right. And I was also (laughs) wondering, like, as I mentioned that now what we see today are the whales and the hippopotamus and the other cetaceans, and there, there were a suite of species that have gone extinct. And I just wonder, well, maybe a component of that is that they didn't by chance develop some of these mechanisms. Absolutely. Um, But, you know, there could be a lot of reasons why they're extinct, but it could be a contributing factor. Absolutely. Yes. So, Janine, you've talked about how the whales are suppressing cancer and Mm -hmm. there's actually a number of animals that have similar cancer-suppressing genes or strategies at play. And really it's because these strategies have evolved independently many, many times across different groups. So there's not just one superpower trait or gene to suppress cancer. And one example I read about in the paper by Mark Tollis and colleagues was the TP53 tumour-suppressing gene. Now, this is in the African savannah elephant, and its genome has 20 copies of this gene. And in comparison, the human genome has just one. Yes. They also talk about the naked mole rat, which is another example. Now, it's small, but it lives for 30 years, which is a long time for a rodent. Yes. And it has really low rates of cancer. And they found another tumour-suppressing gene in the naked Mm -hmm. mole rat. Okay. So, Janine, one of the things that I wondered about as I was doing this reading was then why would large body size evolve in the first place if that large body size Mm. carried with it an increased risk of cancer? So why isn't large body size then selected out? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I asked myself this, and as I was reading the paper, the answer was there, which was brilliant. Mm -hmm. So as I'm sure you know... Janine, but what they talked about was that large body size, while it has an increased risk of cancer, it has other advantages Mm. like avoiding predators. So for these large animals, it's like evolution went, hmm, okay, if you want to get big, fine, but then we'll have to do some pretty sophisticated things to suppress cancer. And then that's what happened. Yes. Yeah, so that's really interesting. And now Mm. I want to ask you, Janine, then, because I did... I did read a little bit about this, but I want to know why then don't all animals develop these sorts of ways to suppress cancer? Yeah, good question. Well, we've always got to remember that any trait that has a genetic basis has evolved randomly. So there is luck involved, right? Of course. You could just happen 
to have a mutation that confers some cancer resistance. So that's one element that some animals really lucked out and just by chance developed something really helpful. And then the other aspect you've always got to remember is that things, think in terms of the fact that humans can get cancers because there may be some genes that they have that can cause them or mutations in helpful genes means that their risk of cancer is higher. Any trait that doesn't really make itself known until after the individual has reproduced, those genes will still get passed along. So the evolutionary pressure has probably been quite high for cancers in humans' youth to be selected out because they're going to unfortunately pass away before they've had a chance to reproduce, so they're not going to pass on those maladaptive genes. But if you think about it, most people, not always, most people who get cancer are getting cancer after they have reproduced. Yes. So that would be my answer, Alina. And in the same way then, if you have reproduced before getting cancer, that cancer is then not so much of a threat to the survival of the group. Exactly. That's right. That's really in keeping with what I read. And that was about, they talked about there's always a trade-off here. So if you're putting a lot of energy into suppressing cancer, that's Mm -hmm. energy that you're not using for something else. Mm. And for animals that are neither long-lived or really large in size, it doesn't Mm. make sense for them to invest a lot in cancer suppression because cancer isn't the type of thing that is probably going to kill them. It's not generally what they die from. Yeah, so think about rodents like mice and rats. Their main concern would be predation risk. Yes. So they've evolved to reproduce early and a lot. And so... Because something's going to come in and knock them off pretty quickly. Exactly. So they've got to get those genes passed on as quickly as possible. Yes. And cancer is kind of a secondary consideration. Absolutely. And actually, Janine, on that note, we might even be able to see this kind of playing out in dinosaur fossils. Oh. Yes. So in the paper that I read, they talked about this. And now dinosaurs did get cancer. This Mm -hmm. has been observed by paleontologists. Mm -hmm. And if you're looking at just the non-avian dinosaurs, so not the birds, then Mm -hmm. based on fossilised records, it looks like cancer may have been more common in a particular clade of dinosaur called the hadrosaurs. Oh, really? Also known as the duck-billed dinosaurs. Yes. Yep. And these were herbivores about the size of an elephant. Mm -hmm. And they grew fast and they reached maturity fairly quickly. Interesting. Mm. They also reproduced a lot and possibly Mm -hmm. had a shorter lifespan compared with, say, elephants. So Mm -hmm. we don't know, but it's possible that cancer suppression was just not that high of a priority for hadrosaurs, Mm. while other dinosaurs that lived at that time and that lived longer and took longer to mature and reproduce may well have developed cancer suppression. And maybe that's why we see cancer in the hadrosaur fossils and not in the Mm. other non-avian dinosaur fossils. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. So it's really about... I mean, there's an element of randomness here, of course, but then it's about where are these cancer-suppressing genes needed? Yeah. And, you know, it's important to think, I mean, why should people care about the cancer rates in Wales? Yeah. Why do we care that cancer is so rare in Wales? Well, because what we learn about other animals and how they are suppressing cancer, we can use to try to develop our own ways to suppress cancer in humans. Mm. So we can try to develop medicines that mimic these same processes. Yes. And that could be a real game changer. Yes. And I think we also can identify what genes there may be in common, like you mentioned 
mentioned that there's a huge number of duplications in the elephant and one copy of the the similar gene in humans. So it's useful for yes, us to actually start... Yes, versus one. Yeah, it's useful <laughs> to start identifying what genes are doing in us and in others. Yeah, exactly. What are they in the first place? Yes. So here we are for our favourite part of the podcast. It's Inner Square where we reveal what brought out our Inner Square recently. Mm. Now, Janine, again, I would like to go first. Sure. Is that okay with you? Of course, go ahead. So mine's kind of short. I really just feel compelled to confess to you and our listeners Mm. about a recent Friday night and how I spent it. Right. And what I did was with my partner Mel... We spent our Friday night looking at pivot tables. (laughs) Now, pivot tables, if you don't know, are a function in Excel that allows you to really quickly summarise different aspects of data in a table. Mm. So if you like data, (laughs) you probably already know about pivot tables already. But if you don't, you need to get into it. (laughs) And this was our Friday night. And I'll add that this, we might be in lockdown now, but we weren't in lockdown on this particular Friday night. So we looked at various pivot tables and discussed them all and then I got excited about, oh, can you show me this in the pivot table and let's create a new one. And that's what we did. Well, I think we both each had a beer or two and there was Mm -hmm. probably some sport, some football on in the background. Right. So, but really, it was all about the pivot tables. I mean, what else? And what that's else? What, we what were else are people doing on Friday nights? <laughs> I don't know. What else would you want to do? So, if you want to get into pivot tables, I've selected a really great YouTube video to help Ooh. get you started. We'll put those in the show notes. But yes, this is what I did mm. recently, and it was it was also the same day where earlier in that day I had hung out with my nephew, your little boy, yes. Janine, and we made cupcakes. Yes. And I had gotten to buy the cupcake cases, so we just had to bake them in a greased cupcake tray. Yes. And while we were looking at the pivot tables and drinking our beer and watching the football, <laughs> I, we were also eating the cupcakes. Right. And I just stopped and I went, oh, but my cupcake doesn't have a case. And I wondered, is it still a cupcake? Mm. Or is it not a cupcake, but is it a muffin? Mm. And then I was Googling what is the difference between cupcakes and muffins. And this was my Friday night. Okay. (laughs) Well, I would say a muffin is uh, less sweet slightly and has no icing. That's how I would define a muffin. (sighs) That is incorrect. Oh, really? I mean, it's slightly correct. The defining feature is not about whether it's savoury or sweet. Okay. Because muffins can be either savoury or sweet. But, I mean, there's surely different opinions in the culinary world about this, but from what I could gather from my very brief research that night was that cupcakes are generally plain and will have some sort of icing and decoration on top, whereas muffins can have other things in the batter. So muffins might oh, have nuts and yeah, like fruit and stuff, or, yeah. or whatever, okay. whereas cupcakes are generally plain. So okay. it confirmed that, yes, indeed, we did make cupcakes, even though they did not have cases. Oh, good. You could relax then. <laughs> I could relax then. <laughs> Those cupcakes were delicious. I remember them well. They were really good. Mm. They were um, yes. olive oil cupcakes, right? They were olive oil It sounded and a bit wrong, sounded, but it tasted divine. It sounded totally weird. <laughs> um, even your nephew was like, Auntie Lean, that's a lot of oil <laughs> that I was putting in the cupcake batter. 
Anyway, they turned out great. Yes. So, Janine, I'm pretty sure I hope that your inner square is a bit more exciting than mine. <laughs> Please tell us. Okay. Well, interestingly, my inner square involves your partner Mel as well. So she's featuring heavily in this episode. Um, now, look, do you remember when Mel introduced me to the erasable pens? Oh, of course, yes. <laughs> I'm sure you do because I've, <laughs> I mean, crapped on about them ever since. You two have bonded over the erasable <laughs> pens. But tell our listeners what these are because okay. people might not be aware. It's really cool. They are inky pens, not like a biro pen, like an inky pen. And if you make a mistake, you can turn them around upside down and at the tip is a little, this little rubbery section and you can rub it out and it's completely gone, but it's a pen. So it's like you're using a pacer, but it's a pen. Yeah. It's yeah. so The cool. first time I saw this, I was just in disbelief. <laughs> What is this witchcraft? Yeah, when you first get them, you just spend a lot of time writing stuff and rubbing it out. (laughs) If you're a nerd. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so... Look, this has been very exciting because as by now the listeners will be aware that I write many, many lists and I get upset when there's a mistake and I no longer have to use whiteout. I can just rub it out. It's so cool. No, that's just a messy affair, isn't it? Yes. And you can't... You can't transition to using pencil, can you? That is out of the question. No, I've tried. It's it's not the same. So you don't have to because of these eraser <laughs> <exactly>. pens. <laughs> so that's just part one of my inner square. So the second part is that I performed an accidental experiment. Oh. So, so just so everyone's clear, when you rub these out, like you can't see anything. It's gone, right? When you rub out something with an eraser, you know, you get a little bit of eraser residue that's actually kind of picked up the graphite, right? Oh, yeah, that pink stuff and you've got to this is, scrape it off your desk and yes, it goes everywhere. Yep. This is completely different. You rub it out, there's no residue. It's like, where did it go? Yeah, okay. it's, just, it's, it's, it's witchcraft, like <laughs> I said. No, I will tell you what it is because of my accidental experiment. So I had many, many pages of lists out on my desk and I was having my lunch at my desk and I heated it up in the microwave and I put the plate down on top of one of my lists and when <gasps> I lifted the plate up, the list was gone. No! Yeah, it's true. It was gone. And I and it, I mean, I had simultaneous oh feelings gosh. of amazement and then really angry because I couldn't see what I needed to do that day. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, but that's wait, funny. it gets better. As I was trying to see, is there any any element that I can decipher of what this list was? The ink started to come back. No, <laughs> it did. <laughs> yep. So, oh my gosh. However, you know, have when you, you told put, Mel about this? No, I've been saving this. So, oh, we should listen I mean, on this episode. Yeah, people need to understand that we never share inner squares prior to a recording um, because, yeah, we just hold on to them. So, I've been holding this. Oh, yeah. Can like, you, we've, can you understand how exciting I've, how excited I've been? Oh, yeah. To tell this you? is next level. <laughs> yeah. So, we'll have stuff and I'll think, oh, I've got to tell Janine. But no, I'll just wait until we do a podcast. That's right. <laughs> so, but wait, there's more. So, you know when you... There's when more. You, yeah, so it was a ceramic plate and when you put it down, there's sort of like the, the ring underneath that actually contacts with the surface. Yeah, yeah, the super hot that, bit. That part, the ink did not come back. <gasps> it was gone forever yep, from the super, super hot bit. Yeah. Okay, so what does this tell us? So what this tells us is that heat is actually causing a physical change to the ink properties. 
Okay. So the ink is still there. It is yes. just invisible. Yes. <gasps> and so, so what's happening is when you rub it out, it's the heat generated from the friction that's from doing it. From the friction, it. of yes. course. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just, yeah. Now I love the pens even more. Oh, that is brilliant. And, and I, I, I just should love point that they out, don't make all of the mess. They just I, I use know. science instead. That's right. And I should point <laughs> out that the pens, the type of pen, they're actually called friction pens but with an X. So the hint was actually in the name. But I didn't realise that until after so my experiment. So this isn't a mystery at all. <laughs> I don't think so. So I am, after this, going to go and do some research. And if I find anything, I'll, I'll add it to the notes on the website. I mean, aside from the name of the pens, I feel like <laughs> you're one of these famous scientists who's just discovered something incredible from some completely mundane activity. <laughs> well, many of the most important discoveries have happened by accident. So, Yes, Absolutely. I can add this to the list. <laughs> what were you eating for lunch that day? Um, it was some a leftover roast dinner, Alina. Right. Mm. So if you lot had been really hungry the night before and didn't leave any leftovers, then you may not have made this discovery. No. But, you know, I think it was inevitable because I always eat at my desk. And I, yes, eventually and my you desk would have had some hot soup. Yeah, it's always a mess with a lot of pieces of paper with a lot of lists written down. Yeah. Yeah, I, that does not happen in my office there's no food and there's no mess <laughs> so there you go that is brilliant yep. thank you so much okay well thanks everyone for joining us details of the studies that we have talked about in detail we'll provide all the links on the website and that is www.sisterdoctorsquared.com with all words spelt in full and you can follow along on facebook and twitter and we are also now on instagram and youtube And yes, so we'd love to hear from you and definitely go and check out the Pearl Jam song. It is a great song. Oh, yeah, rock out to that. Yep. While you go and learn about pivot tables. Yep. And go and get yourself some pens and have some fun. Get into some friction pens. (laughs) And, I mean, above all else, stay square out there. Oh. I know. I'm sorry. I haven't haven't vetted that with you, but I I, I like it. (laughs) I love it. All right. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Bye. Bye.